I know, I know we were wasting time. I know it's really fucking annoying, even for me to watch sometimes. But you can't just be adding on 19 minutes, because even though we're wasting time, we've all agreed that that's not what happens. Like, that's, that's, that's not, that was just a little Qatar World Cup thing. You don't yeah. do that in the Premier League. That's nonsense. We haven't all agreed that yet. That isn't part of the rules yet. This is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And that Can you do it on a rainy night in Stoke, they say? If that's a test of a footballer's character, then we have our own test that isn't far away from, you know, checking out the, the medal, testing whether someone has the stomach to fight when they might not want to fight, really. Can you do it in the FA Cup third round? That's the Aston Villa version. Of the rainy one, Stoke. <laughs> if you have Stoke rain, if you have FA Cup in a village jersey, then the whole football world also knows you have the idea of doing it when the Anfield crowd is baying for your blood. And let's get real. There was an equaliser that wasn't far from coming and it came in the worst time, 89th minute. You know, still 20-odd minutes left to play. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all up for it. You know, there, there was a sense of fever in the air there was a sense of them being hard done by they needed to win to keep their champions league hopes alive and they got the goal and away they go and now it's like how can villa react and in Emery didn't crumble he's seen all this before with psg in barcelona <laughs> now he doesn't sink his head he doesn't he doesn't change his posture he stands up straight and he tells the players not to calm down this time he tells them to calm down enough times he puts his hands from a downward motion to up. Not up to down, down to up. Let's get fucking going. Do you have what it takes? Do you have the stomach? And they do have the stomach. They really weathered that storm, which kept coming and kept coming. And they got out there with a priceless point. And as Emery said months ago, we just wanted to be in a position going into the last game at home against Brighton, the home form which I have fixed unbelievably so, and we wanted something to play for, and here we are with a massive thing to play for all in our hands to get into European football because they were able to withstand that onslaught at the end for that eternal injury time, and we're recording here on Sunday lunchtime. Injury time has just ended at Anfield, and Villa have gotten out 1-1. <laughs> <laughs> what did you make of the game of the battle Ugh, like I'm fucking sick of fairy tales like why, why are we always the big bad wolf as well having our fucking stomachs cut open like how are children supposed to grow up and face the world the reality of the world if they don't ever learn the lesson that sometimes the arseholes like Emmy Martinez win like, you know, like why can't we just let Emmy Martinez feed like is that is that, the, is that really the story we want exclusively to tell our children? Like, don't worry if Emmy Martinez eats you up. At the last minute, the returning hero, the departing legend, will come in and rip you out of his stomach. It's nonsense, Conan. Like, we're raising a generation with no fucking resilience, demanding that Roberto Firmino makes everything okay. Sometimes people die. Like Sometimes, sometimes people even get eaten alive. And we need to sit our children down and tell them that. We need to tell them that Peter Brooks isn't always going to kick down the door and give you an extra 10 minutes to escape. It's fucking bollocks. Yeah, it's great. It is great. It is great that we drew it, Anthony. They would have taken it beforehand, but fucking hell under those circumstances. 
imagine now we were getting into this game, not even having to beat Brighton, which we will, but imagine if we didn't have to. Yeah. Sometimes children need to understand the reality that Emmy Martin is, will sometimes win a World Cup. <laughs> Stop censoring those tapes, show them those books. Like this, this is the real life, this is the real world. But Klopp was complaining later on about time wasting i wouldn't call it time wasting they, they, they got all that time back and then some like they, they got five minutes officially added on at the end of the first half which ended up being eight and a half minutes they got eight and a half minutes at the end of the first half they got 10 minutes officially at the end of the second half which ended up being 10 and a half minutes they got 19 minutes added on there was no time wasted on villa's behalf i agree with klopp it's a it's a rhythm breaker but you're not going to stop that because people are crying out for the stop clock I mean, if Emmy Martin still wants to rhythm break, the stop clock's just going to stop and let him rhythm break. It's, there's no way of stopping that unless you just tell people they play on. Yeah, well, the ball being in Emmy Martinez's hands, the ball in place, so the stop clock won't even stop that anyway. And the, the annoying thing about this is the biggest rhythm breaker, of course, was was Fabinho breaking, literally breaking Aston Villa's rhythm as they gallop back up the pitch. Yeah. But Klopp complaining, what an odd time to complain about that when literally the time was added back on. It was bizarre, bizarre little rant for him to have. Yeah. Well, Villa did take the lead. We're going to talk about this fucking penalty miss in a second. We'll talk about the two goals first. 1-0. And the way Villa played after that penalty miss with, with the crowd, like they were so up. Like it suddenly, it was like almost like they got a goal because you just missed from 12 yards out. It hit it wide as well. I mean, Emmy take took the sting out of it he caught the ball and yeah he held the ball then for another 20 seconds to try and take the sting out of the crowd but then the bravery the way he got the ball back down gives it to Mings gives it to Dougie Ramsey turned at one stage lovely and played through Ollie Watkins Villa just played some great football there like Matt Cash nailing Diaz down in, at the right back spot Bailey pressing and winning a throw in high up like Leon <laughs> Bailey and and it just felt like we were winning so many headers at that stage. That that few minutes after the penalty, like Villa should have crumbled there, and they stepped it up. And they went to second balls. They won, and like Doggy won two headers in a row for this goal. Like he got in front of his man, and he won the second header again. And he gets it to Bailey. Bailey gets a shot blocked, obviously, because he came on his left foot, <laughs> and it comes out to Douglas Louise, and the cross is glorious. The finish is perfect. We talked about his finish just last week, but just the way he tightens up his left ankle this time and lets the ball just drill into the bottom corner. And the celebration. I mean, oh my God, how dare, how dare any of you slag my mate Ollie? What do you think of that? What do you think of that? Fucking loved it. He absolutely loved it. It was classic. You know, I know it's annoying from a Liverpool point of view, but that's amazing. It's exactly what you want to see your player do. Have some of that. Like, yeah, let's hear you laughing now. I can't hear you. I can't hear you ironically cheering anymore. Absolutely brilliant stuff. It was an incredible response to missing the penalty. You're right. I mean, the pressure we had built up after that, the goal was coming. And it was like, it was almost like we didn't realise who the fans were cheering for in the crowd because the, the atmosphere had really erupted after the penalty miss and that somehow G'd Aston Villa up. <laughs> and after the... And I'm being very much putting inverted commas around the next word, long throwing. We we did we did everything right. It's a good ball back in from Dinya on his on his right foot. And it's well followed up by Dougie. I mean the the aggression to win the first header, he's climbing over someone to get to that. And then the precision and the calmness of the second header to nod it down to Bailey. And Conan, you, you might have to pause the recording to recover from what I'm about to say, but I was happy to see Bailey shifted up onto his left. <laughs> and he, fucking, he, he fucking caught it well, and Jones took it like a fucking champ, to be fair to him. 
But as the ball was rolling back out to Doggy and he set himself with the touch, you could see you could see the overload. You could see the goal coming. And maybe Jones was still seeing stars because he he doesn't get out quick enough anywhere near him. And Dougie could see our star boy at the back post. And the cross is absolutely brilliant. I do think he's playing it to Mings, to be fair. <laughs> but, you know, there's two of them at the back post and it goes to one of them. And somebody had to tell the crowd to shut up. I mean, the atmosphere <laughs> was out of control. But I, I'm not sure... I'm not sure I can forgive JJ for quieting them down and making fucking Michael Bridges a bit more audible. Like, run, run the pitch to the Villa fans and tell them to pump it up. Fucking drown him out because I feel like I'm being waterboarded listening to him. But, <laughs> but he, he really fucking went for it, didn't he? Like, he really milked it. Run the, like, he ran past the cop and then he stopped. He stopped pointing to his ear. And he turned left and he started doing it again. I was like, is he going to do a lap of the pitch telling them all to fucking shut up? I was thinking of the difference last season when Villa played Everton and they just got in a huddle after Buendia scored a goal and someone <laughs> threw a bottle of Lucasade at one of their heads and it was, I think some of the commentary was making out that Villa were antagonising them by hugging each other. <laughs> the difference. I mean, if you ever are going to be provoked and they throw in a bottle of Lucasade at somebody, it's when they're going over to the cop with their finger to the ears and what do you think of that? It's like, here's what I think of it. <laughs> but um, no, good, good restraint, I would say. Well, I wouldn't even praise that, but uh, it was brilliant to see JJ doing that and the shame that they didn't hold out from there on in because the... The equaliser came from exactly what we're not supposed to do. I'm talking there about how we withstood the pressure and injury time and how we bounced back after that penalty. I mean, that was that should be a good lesson for any bit of adversity, but it felt like the last 10 minutes of normal time, we just sort of gave up on that and we went a bit into shithouser ball, shithousery ball, and you know, it, it, this all started with Martinez just booting the ball down pitch, which we never see us doing. And just before the goal, it was like, how... how how have we gotten to that? Like This isn't a pattern of our play. Everybody just up to the halfway line and Martinez is going to boot it down and we'll contest the, the header. Like that, That's a form of football. It's not the form of Aston Villa football. And I don't know what happened to the bravery there. And then our flat back six became like a flat back nine. Like it was so simple for that goal. Of, of all the of all defending Villa were doing, of all the heroics, <laughs> all the holding out, suddenly it just became one pass over to the right-hand side and one cross. Because Villa's nine players were in a line. It was the cross in behind that line. And it was a goal from Gakbo and or sorry, Firmino. And that was it. Like John Duran was the only player pushed out who were giving us a bit of depth. It was disappointing, but that's how we conceded in the end. Yeah, I mean you said they were they were strung out in a, a flat back nine, but they weren't flat. That was the fucking problem. Like J- Jacob Ramsey is about two yards too deep when the ball gets shuffled across to Salah. And like, never mind the offside line, you're right, he's far too deep in general. Like, why is he part of the offside line? He needs to be out putting pressure on the ball. That's his role in a defensive setup. The last thing we want is fucking Jacob Ramsey in our own box. The lad can't defend. And Tyrone Mings, yeah, what a performance. But he can't be being beaten to his front post like that. Not at that stage of the game. He has to know that they've got a centre forward on now who's going to be running every time the winger gets the ball. And to be fair to the two of them, you know, I was exhausted watching the game, but just stay clued in. There's only going to be 40 minutes of time added on. You can fucking do this. <laughs> and yeah, look, it's it's a lovely ball and it's an incredible finish, but ah, there was problems in the lead-up to it. That's just, it's almost unforgivable because they're so basic. Far too deep, doesn't need to be in the line at all. And then the fucking defender getting beaten to his front post. 
Yeah, well, there were a few incidents as well that we can talk about. The penalty is the first one. Uh, again, lovely football. Douglas Louise just stripped it off. Was it Luis Diaz that he took it off, I think? And he gets it forward, and it's great feed from Ramsey. He's under a bit of pressure, and he finds it. He gets it out to McGinn into a bit of space in the center of the pitch. And you're thinking now McGinn's going to turn right, you know, because that's where all the space is. And he's just so aggressive with the pass to Ollie Watkins. It's just, no, let's go. You chase this. And, like, just, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking, oh, Ramsey's gotten out a bit of a baller there. Great, you turn in, appreciate that space over on the right, and we'll we'll be able to keep the ball for two more seconds. <laughs> it's like, no way. I'm fucking pushing this in front of Ollie Watkins. And, yeah, Watkins is gone. It's a good pass, good run. He's fouled, and he hits the penalty wide. He can't be hitting a penalty wide. No, he can't. And you're right. It is a it is a lovely piece of play from Dougie and JJ to to get us away. I think it's actually solid to take it off. It's a lovely one too. Then Jacob Ramsey stays calm, carries it well. I mean, like once he's given the ball at the other side, he's gone. He's always gone. And it's not a brilliant pass to McGinn then, and that's why I was thinking there was nothing on. But McGinn doesn't give a fuck. It's an absolutely beautiful toss over the top. And Watkins does brilliantly. The power in the run is incredible. And I know Watkins has him on the turn, but it's not like Canary is fucking slow. Yeah. But it's it's Watkins' touch that does all the damage. It's perfect. The weight, the direction. I mean, that touch means it's it's a one-on-one with Allison or it's a penalty. The Canary can't stop him after that touch. And one suspects that Canadi is aware of the fact that Steven Gerrard decided to enter the season with one winger at the club and shipped Anwar Elgozi out because he must know how bad Ollie Watkins is, is at penalties. And pe- penalties really are the most interesting thing about football. Like Ollie Watkins is a really good footballer and he misses a 192 square foot target, literally <laughs> the size of a fucking barn door from 36 feet away. And it's not even close like he, he's put it into the next field. Like he's, he's he's put it nearly a yard wide when you stop it. It's incredible. I I really think it's one of the worst penalties I've ever seen because ordinarily whenever someone misses a penalty that badly, they fucking wellied it. He's just caressed it a yard wide. Like he, you can see the Stuart behind the goal completely unperturbed by the ball rolling towards him because there's no power in it because Ollie Watkins is just rolling it to him for some reason. Yeah. Fucking mental. It was a Salah-style penalty. They won a few months ago. Salah did the same thing where he hit it to... He was going for the top left. But I wouldn't even say he was going for top left corner because it looked like he put it where he wanted to put it. Yeah, which, which was miles wide. It was like he, did, he didn't miss hit the ball. He was aiming for that target. It was such a weird, weird penalty that day. And like the Watkins one was similar to that. But uh, I don't know. Like it's, we, We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that because there's a few more incidents. The, the Gakbo goal this was a bit strange wasn't it um i mean it's hard to know how games would change and things like that when if the goal was given i think the official line is that they saw it as a deflection off kanza and it does come at him very fast so when that ball is played back to him or played back in his direction it hits off him and van dyke is offside but i feel like kanza has reached for the ball i feel like he could have let it go he had a couple of choices there. He could, he, and obviously, they saw that he didn't have a couple of choices, but I thought it was a bit lucky from a Villa point of view. Yeah, and I think it's lucky as well because we defended that whole situation so badly. We deserve to concede a goal from it, I would say. And Kanza has absolutely played the ball. He swung his left foot at it. He's just, he's just made a really bad connection with it because it's a really awkward ball to try to control with your left foot. And he has yeah. tried to control it. He's tried to get the ball to do something. If that means he's kicking the ball, that means Van Dyke is probably not offside. 
Uh, and but after that, throw Mings on the line is absolutely incredible. Like that was so emblematic of Tyrone Mings' performance to just take that one on the face when he was on the line. And it was the fact that they scored after that. I was initially obviously really annoyed because Aston Villa conceded, but also just really annoyed for Tyrone Mings because what a performance and what an iconic moment that would have been for him. Anyway, yeah. didn't need it because the referees well, were shit. <laughs> well, Mings and Gakpo are the two leading characters of the next incident and it was the one that they checked for serious foul play they were wondering should it have been a red card when he he did connect from with his studs on his chest actually I did see a nasty cut on Gakbo's chest it was um it wasn't nice because he was sort of he was flying in towards Gakbo but he is kicking the ball and I do find it hard to see kicking the ball a serious foul play <laughs> like I don't think this is the same category as, say, the Saka won against Arsenal last season. That was just ridiculous stuff. He's passing the ball on the ground, and then <laughs> he's like, somebody's there as he's passing the ball. Somebody's in the way of his swing. Like this one was a bit different to that, and that the ball was in the air, and he's he's charging for it with his foot. But I still think he's kicking it, and I think sometimes things like this are going to happen. And I think a yellow card is merited. It's just like you know, come on, control yourself a bit more than that. I don't think it's a game ender. And yeah, I don't think it was serious foul play in that he didn't cut open his organs. He cut his chest. <laughs> he did stop. There was a line. He did stay at this side of the line. What's the skin side of the line? Yeah, exactly. There has to be a line somewhere. Yeah, I think he, I think he is trying to pull his leg away eventually. Like I, I think his initial instinct is to, is to foul though which is slightly worrying. And to, to be fair, if you're in the air trying to control a ball and someone's jumping towards you, and Gakpo's a big boy as well, you probably would try to protect yourself. Maybe not by trying to cut someone's heart out with your studs. And <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that he that he does control the ball and he's not doing anything mental to do it. You know, he's put his leg up to pull the ball out of the sky. That's how you control that football. That really helps him. I think the fact that Gakpo's six foot four helps him as well. I mean, it would have looked a hell of a lot worse and would have been a hell of a lot worse if he was kicking Luis Diaz in the face there. Yeah, yeah. I'll think about it, but it's um, it's definitely, I'd say it's more annoying from a Liverpool point of view because Mings went on to have such a massive game. You're pointing him out there for the goal. I just thought that goal went into the Bermuda Triangle that we can't do anything about in between Mings and Kanza. We know like that's a write-off and I think was in there. We've, sort of, we've, already, we've already factored it into the game. Um, but yeah, Mings is burning. But look, there's loads more to talk about, so we'll leave it there and we'll come back with WhatsApp winches. All right, I have to say, it was one of those games. I put a tweet out to saying, get your winches in if you have them, and a lot of winches came in. Uh. <laughs> Sometimes when there's no resolution to a game like this, when there's a draw, when there's so long after the second goal was scored that we still have to keep watching the game, it just feels like there's a. There's just not a natural resolution and, and nobody feels satisfied with the game. And a lot of people had gripes, but they were all on the same theme. I sort of had most of them anyway, but I've narrowed them down to three. And the first one is a corner to Emmy Martinez. Emmy <laughs> Martinez clearing the ball out for a throw-in on the halfway line. There's a fine. There's a weak way to find that Emmy Martinez find touch. Yes, he fucking did. But he found touch. Our goalkeeper found touch from our own corner like this would normally be in the Glen Whelan Award, but this has been escalated immediately. I mean, this like, <laughs> what is this? What is going on? 
Now, I think the most annoying thing about this was, was the first bit of nice play that we had beforehand as well. Yeah, like, you know, great pass from McGinn. Great feed yeah. from Ramsey. And McGinn was ratting around as well beforehand before he rattled the ball into JJ's feet. And he, he does show great feet and great aggression as well to try to step around him. And it's like, yes, finally, we're fucking playing this game. But then Austin McPhee decides to fucking play the game as well. And every one of those passes was a bad idea. And they were all badly executed as well. And the overall strategy was fucking nonsense. And the most worrying thing about this is, just ahead of its conception, is he's tried it before. Like, McPhee thinks this is going to get us a goal at some stage. He thinks getting the ball back to the halfway line or back to fucking Martinez is going to confuse the 11 Liverpool players that are behind the ball. Like, I have my fucking suspicions about this lad. And I think, <laughs> apart from all apart from all the nonsense I've seen him create at Villa, I think it all it all goes back to me seeing him as the as an opposition fan when Ireland were playing Scotland. Do you remember yeah. that? Every yeah. corner Scotland got, they were told to just take it immediately. Immediately! Like, McGinn was fucking bombing across, getting the ball in the quadrant and just fucking swinging it into an empty box. Yeah. It was madness. It's like, any ideas for this one, Austin? Yes. It's it's like a corner, but faster. What the <laughs> fuck planet are you on? Any ideas for this one, Austin? Yes. It's like a goal kick from a fucking corner. Get the ball back to Martinez and see if he can launch it back up. Yeah, a goal kick we don't normally take anymore because we just pass the ball out from goal kicks. <laughs> so we're even underprepared for it, Connor. Yeah. Like, the only time we've gotten close with this corner routine is when John McGinn got it in halfway lane and took it past three players. <laughs> That, that's the closest we've gotten to making anything, but we know that cross from John McGinn after taking a pass three players ended up on the roof of the net. Like that, that's the closest we got with this routine. Relied on a player to run 50 yards of the ball and tried to swing it in and he couldn't swing it in. It's it's bonkers what's happening. And you're so, so right. Like I forgot this all came off Villa finally you know, playing a bit of ball because I, honestly, I feel like the first 10 minutes were Martinez standing with the ball, <laughs> holding the ball and... And then this corner, this corner back to Martinez, that's all we had done, apart from the 10 seconds before it where McGinn was ratting around and it was like a Roy Keane-style pass, just banging it in. Let's see how you can deal with it. Ramsey can deal with it. It was. I remember Peter Crouch talking about, uh, I think he was talking to Jamie Carragher about yeah when he came to Liverpool and that's when he got introduced to Gerrard, Gerrard the player, <laughs> the good Gerrard. <laughs> and uh, Gerrard used to just bang balls at him and if he couldn't control them, like he was balled out of it by Carragher and Gerrard. And it was like, this is the pressure. This is the standard. You're going to get these balls fizzed at you because it's better for the team and you better be able to cope because I'll be able to get off you. You'll be able to hold the ball higher up. Um, and yeah, Ramsey could cope. Great feet, get the corner, ruin my life. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it's, this isn't the first time as well where... The first corner of the game, we're trying this nonsense. The first corner of the game, yeah. fucking get the ball into the box and let's see how prepared Liverpool are for this game of football. Like, there we go. You're speaking my language now. <laughs> get it into the mixer. The second WhatsApp wins. I think Michael Bridges is probably a worse co-commentator than Andy Hinchcliffe. <laughs> I don't say that lightly. I'd actually say I'm more tired after one game listening to Michael Bridges than I am listening to Jim Bagel. <laughs> <laughs> I feel overexposed to Michael Bridges more so than Jim Bagel. That's saying something. And you could take your pick throughout this game, just generally. Like, I think he sort of, he really put his, he told us where he was at, really. Like, he, he said something early on 
where the commentator who brought up Villa beating Liverpool the last time they beat them was they beat them 7-2. And it was quite clear that Michael Bridges is looking around at the people around him. And he starts laughing, saying, oh, you're a very brave man to bring that up here, Ian. You're, <laughs> d- they're not happy with you up in the gantry here. So suddenly I've got this image of Michael Bridges standing there with a gun to his head by about four, four Liverpool players. Say, say it should be a penalty. Say it should be a goal. Like say, the commentator, by the way, along this, I think people have pointed this out as well. He did say something like, the referee has done Liverpool no favours here today. It's not his job. His job is not to do Liverpool favours here today. But that was the tone of the conversation then. And there, there was one where Michael Bridges, again, you know, with all the fans around him holding the guns at his head, he was laughing at somebody. It was Salah was looking for a cheap free kick. He just got the ball taken off him. And he laughed and said, ah, oh, you know, have you think that the fans and the players aren't going to try and get a free kick in every situation, Ian? <laughs> You're stupid, basically. <laughs> and this is the same guy who was complaining about John McGinn saying to the referee, are you going to do anything about Fabinho fouling us every time we have the ball, every time we're breaking away? He was pointing out, I don't like John McGinn doing that. <laughs> and he was very happy for the Liverpool fans and Liverpool players to be trying to engineer a free kick that he obviously knew wasn't a free kick, but he thought it was funny. And like so much, so this isn't all with my Villa tinted glasses on. Go back to the Gakpo goal, the one that was disallowed, the VAR goal. Michael Bridges said it was great communication by VAR. For, nobody knows what it was for. Nobody knows what the communication was. It was like they saw it and they dealt with it. They saw what? Like tell the like you tell us you're at the game. Like so he was wall to wall terrible, but he was also, yeah, very, very swung by the people around him in the gantry in his own words. Yeah, like uh, ne- never mind being daft. Like God love him. Like he has all the charisma of a fucking dentist chair as well. It's it's unbelievable. <laughs> how dull this lad is and he, he absolutely does not pass the Kirkland Razor like this lad should not be a co-commentator it's madness yeah. not a good enough footballer not in remotely interesting enough like he'd walk out of a pub if he was in it even though, even if he wasn't in your group of friends and <laughs> he was so so compromised as well like the, the Douglas Louise when he wanted that to be a penalty like fair you know I think I think Douglas Louise is trying to pull his leg away eventually, but I think his initial instinct is to foul, which is slightly worrying, much like Tyrone Ming. But he, you know, <laughs> he, he can't teach an old dog he new tricks, and he just loves yeah. to have a little nibble at the postman's ankles every time he's near the box. But yeah. Michael Bridges was desperate for that to be a penalty. It, it was, it really was. Like the image you've painted is perfect. He's up in the gantry, giggling, like, you know, nervously worried that these people are listening to the things that he's fucking saying. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah, he was terrible. His main commentator wasn't much better. Um, the referees weren't great either. It was very frustrating from a production point of view. We had a lot of great actors here, all left down by the set that was built up around them. Uh, the third WhatsApp winch comes from Joel on Twitter. He said, make sure that's the last non-penalty shootout penalty that Watkins takes. I like this because Joel's already preparing for some European football. Non-penalty <laughs> shootout. <laughs> Uh, Steph also got in touch and he said who would you rather who would you rather have on penalties Watkins or Diana Ross <laughs> anybody remembers Diana Ross was opening the World Cup 94 very uh, landmark tournament from an Ireland point of view and she went to all she had to do is kick the ball into the big empty net into the barn door as you say Watkins wouldn't be able to do this either and 
so she had to kick the ball into the net and then the whole thing was going to explode and she missed she hit it wide and the whole thing exploded anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit of a letdown um i think i would probably go with diana rosler would you <laughs> well it's obviously a lot more forgiven that diana ross missed the net compared to fucking ollie Watkins. <laughs> i mean like honestly i i can't i can't get over how bad a penalty that was from from ollie Watkins. And the lads are right to ask who who we'd rather be hitting it, but the the, the, the penalty shooter thing as well. I'm thinking, why would you let Ollie Watkins hit a penalty, the penalty shooter after that? <laughs> if that's the if that's the level he's at, and it did get to the stage after we sold Danny Ings, and I wasn't a fan of Danny Ings hitting penalties, as you know, Conan. There was a genuine question of who the fuck is going to hit our penalties? Who do you actually trust to step up and rattle this? And that's what I was talking about: penalties being the most interesting thing in football. I know Ollie Watkins can put the ball in the corner from 12 yards out. Why can't they put the ball in the fucking corner from 12 yards out? Yeah. It's madness. Just like, he could do it when he has two players hanging off him and he's run 40 yards and he's been fouled. And Does he have that ice in his veins that, that, that you need to be the, the real penalty king? Like we, we see him miss the easiest chances and scoring really good. like <laughs> Scoring chances that he manufactures himself, scoring the harder ones. He, we see him missing one-on-ones. Seeing missing penalties, like I, I can't believe that I was finding myself thinking, why did you not just hit it down the middle? Just, <laughs> just, just blast down the middle. And beforehand, I don't. You remember John McGinn was doing that thing where I'll hold the ball before the penalty. It was pointless because there was nobody, there was nobody over trying to goad the penalty taker. But yeah, and it was pointless it. as well because Ollie Watkins was just standing on the penalty spot waiting for McGinn to hand <laughs> yeah, him the ball. Yeah, he had his hands out basically saying, "What are you doing? Like, give it to me." And, <laughs> But then I find myself thinking, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind McGinn rattling this. Like he looks a bit more solid. Does he look a bit more? Um, I don't know why a low center of gravity is suddenly important for a penalty, but it's just like the the makeup of it. And yeah, does he have a bit more ice in his veins when it comes to something like that? Would he just try and rattle the top corner? Yeah, and we all know how well that works out. Normally, whenever John McGinn just tries to rattle the ball for the last year, <laughs> they always end up on target, Connor. Uh, who who like honestly a penalty happens now against Brighton, who's hitting it? Like it would probably be Watkins, but who would you call? Emmy Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, send in your tweet, Douglas Louise, maybe. Nah, I don't know. Send him and send in suggestions. I'm I'm well up for um a discussion on this one. Not Diana Ross, to be fair to Ollie Watkins, but we'll take a break and we'll come back after this. And he was given out about the instinct to assume that they're guilty. That's because we can see the team that you're fielding. That's, that's because we can see that a club with the fans who can just about create the same level of atmosphere as Denmark versus Tunisia in Qatar, a club like that shouldn't be able to spend £400 million on defenders in three years. Pep Guardiola knows that his legacy is in question here. Pep Guardiola is so terrified of people on Twitter to call him Fraudiola. And like, listen, some of those people have a point. I mean, in his last season at Barcelona, he had Messi running around scoring 73 goals, but Pep led them to second place, nine points behind fucking eye-gouger Mourinho's Real Madrid, and were knocked in the Champions League by Roberto Di Matteo's Chelsea. 
Roberto Di Matteo's Chelsea. His first year at treble winners, Baron, they were beaten 5 0 by Real Madrid in the Champions League. He didn't even win the double in his second season. Oh, but he played Philip Lam out of position. You know who didn't play Philip Lam in midfield? Treble winner, you pinkas. Do you know who had to play Felipe Coutinho in midfield? Treble winner, Hansi Flick. Roberto Di Matteo's Chelsea. Bayern Munich have won the last 10 titles. It doesn't matter who the manager is. Niko Kovac won the double in his only full season. He was hounded out by November the following year. Do you know who he's managing now? Of course you don't! don't. He's just some manager. Any manager who took over and won the double. It's not a league, it's a fucking procession. Bayern Munich literally take the best player from the second best team. From the second best team in the same league, it's insane. They signed Goetze in Pep's first year, then Lewandowski the following year, then they left him alone for a year, and then they signed Mats Hummels. <laughs> Can you imagine if City signed Salah in 2018 and then Manny, and then the following year signed Van Dijk? <laughs> the Bundesliga is a fucking joke. <laughs> and regardless of how good a coach Guardiola is, no matter how well he's taken Cruyff's template and superimposed better players onto it, anyone, anyone could do what he did at Bayern. That's demonstrated by the fact that everybody has. Anyone could do what he did at Bayern. Everybody has. Let's start with the Ronnie Rosenthal Award, even though it doesn't matter because Ollie Watkins is obviously the winner, but we might as well go through them in the interest of going through the motions. <laughs> what are you joking? I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just go through the rest of them. So the first nomination, Jacob Ramsey. Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Could have been two. Um, the free kick. The Luis Diaz just watches Jacob Ramsey run at him from about 30 yards away. And Trent passes him on to you. Do you have him? Luis Diaz must say yes. And then doesn't bother following him. Ramsey just runs in behind, gets the ball. It's a good pass from Douglas Louise, I think. And ah, he should have squared it, shouldn't he? I mean, there's John McGinn and Ollie Watkins in there with, I think it's just Van Dyke. It's a good save from the shot. It's not a bad shot, but I think he should have squared it. Let somebody try to bundle at home. That's the sort. That's when Ollie Watkins comes in the zone. <laughs> Yeah, to be fair to Austin McPhee, it's a pretty good move. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is really, really strange. I don't think I've ever seen this before. Like you say, he was absolutely sprinting from 40 yards away. And maybe that's why he doesn't pass it as well, because he's running at such a fucking lick that he probably can't, you know, get his head up, get, stay calm. He's sprinted onto the ball, controlled it quite well, probably taken him slightly too wide. And I think, like I always say, the shot is as difficult as the pass. So just have the shot. And it like he hits the shot well. It's good. It's high. It's far enough to the side. Hits off Allison's shoulder. So it's, it's a really good save from Allison to make himself big. But it's also quite a lucky save. Salah and McGinn had a couple of poor enough shots from the edge of the box. I think for the Aston Villa one, Watkins teed him up. McGinn was coming in from just outside right, right centre. We call it the half space. And uh, 
he could have just put JJ in on the left of the field. I don't think he saw him. He went from again to the edge of the box, straight to the keeper. Salas was straight to the keeper as well. And then the Trent one. I mean, this is such a dream. Talk about time, space, coming charge, and then the ball is just sat up for him. Not even sat up, just rolled out to him at the very edge of the box. It's right on the 18-yard line. <laughs> very happy he did what he did, but I'm nearly disappointed that he went with his instep. It was just <laughs> such a such a letdown from a football point of view. It was like it was just rolled to him, go spank that. Like the, let's see the De Bruyne in you, and we know that of all the people, he can do it with his right foot as well, and he went with the instep. And hit it straight at the keeper. Yeah, the McGinn one was really frustrating because it was an incredible little piece of play between Boba and Dougie and Ramsey and the build-up to it. And then it's a good ball from McGinn to let Watkins go. And Watkins needs to let the ball go one more to JJ. Like you said, that's where the space was. McGinn shot a shout. The Salah one, how many, how many times have we seen Mo Salah step inside his left foot there? So every time you see it, you're conditioned to think, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Don't let him go on to his left. And it, again, the shot was terrible. Straight down straight down Martinez's throat. And the Trent one, my God, why has he put his instep on that? Like he's put his instep on it, but he's also tried to hit it hard. It was a bizarre yeah. it's not like he's it's not like he's tried to place it then afterwards. He's just, he's trying to rattle that across Martinez into the bottom corner, but with his instep, just fucking put your laces through it if that's what you're doing. Bizarre decision from him. Yeah, he's earned the right to just put his laces through it. And like, yeah, it was great that but he it, didn't. Uh... It was one one of those situations where the camera's panning back and you know the person's picked out a player and yeah. you're hoping it's not Trent Alexander-Arnold <laughs> yeah. coming on to it. You're hoping it's Lovren and you're hoping he's a bit further <laughs> back. Uh, the last nomination I have, if there's anything else, just shout, but I can't believe I'm even asking this question. Should McGinn have shot of his head? The ball came across. I know he's far out. I know it's McGinn's head. But he, he just tried to pass it to Buendia instead. He tried to tee it down to Buendia, which he, which he did in fairness. And I don't know what Buendia is doing. He's got his back to the goal. He tries to pick out a pass. It isn't there. And we just lose the ball. But it sort of bounced up in front of McGinn. And I thought, oh, yeah, go on. Get your head on that. And so I know I'm a ball of contradictions. But but sometimes that is the required method. You just, just take the shot. And he just tried to get a bit too intricate with it. Oh my god, though, punish, punish, punish. Whenever someone does something absolutely bonkers like Trent Alexander Arnold has done there, you have to punish that. Because we've got it's so confusing for the Liverpool backline that we we have to score from that. Nobody has understood what's happening. And as the again, as the camera pans across, you you've always got the hope, like, oh hopefully a villa player's coming steam. Oh my god, that's a pass to John McGinn in the box. What the <laughs> fuck has happened here? And the only thing worse than Trent Alexander-Arnold's pass is fucking Buendia's back heel. What in the name of Christ was he playing at there? What a stupid decision. Like, honestly, whenever someone does something stupid, you have to be clinical. You have to be clean. You can't dick around. McGinn's decision to head it to Buendia, no, it's absolutely fine. He's not going to fucking head a bouncing ball over the top of the best keeper in the world from the edge of the fucking box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've got enough evidence to know he's definitely not going to do that but yeah well the winner is obviously ollie Watkins. i'm going to go to the john gregory if i had a gun i would have shot him quote of the week and it comes from ashley young's twitter account i don't know if you've seen this but he's called out he's called out gary neville no. <laughs> ashley young is playing to my gallery here anyway and he's dug out a tweet from five days ago from the Sky Sports Premier League account where Neville and Carragher are just going through the run-ins for the top four. 
And Neville, in his bullish, overconfident way, just says, Liverpool are currently on 65 points at this stage. And he says, well, they're definitely getting 71 points. And the fixtures are laid out in front of them. It's Aston Villa at home. And was Southampton maybe their next game? And it's like, they're definitely getting 71 points. There's no point in United and Newcastle even thinking anything else apart from that. <laughs> Actually, Young digs this out five days later after a great battle at Anfield where Villa could have won, could have got all three points, but they get the point and basically scupper Liverpool's Champions League green. And he says, nothing like a plan coming together. Oops, Gary Neville. <laughs> <laughs> That's the club captain for you right there. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Gary Neville is so devastated that something hasn't worked out for Liverpool as well. A man who's yeah. so fucking insecure that he wanted the biggest cheats in the world of football to win the league last year, just so that Liverpool didn't win yeah. the title for the twentieth time. Fucking pathetic. Hates Liverpool, and sometimes I wonder does he hate himself as well? <laughs> so we might normally at this stage go to the. Emmy Martin is, is Ronaldo not hitting it shithousery award but I think Jacob Ramsey definitely has won that already and I don't know if we should any longer be filing the time wasting under that category well certainly not when it's not wasting any time so it's, <laughs> it's basically stopping the clock really it's a, it's, this is an ode to the Qatar World Cup time wasting category I'll work on the, the name I don't think that's going to stick um, but <laughs> we had a few different attempts at this time wasting so I mean uh, Emmy Martinez freeze at the very start like I said I felt like nothing happened in the first 10 minutes apart from yeah, the corner that went back to Emmy Martinez again but I thought Emmy Martinez's next trick was actually very good and it definitely did waste time because he had the ball in his hands it was after the penalty this is when he took the sting out of it and got the crowd just a little more quieter than they were than they had been after Watkins had missed the penalty he, I think he genuinely was looking to kick it long to Watkins, who just, I don't know, his head is probably ah, rattled. Like, <laughs> and anyway, Martinez forgets about the kick out for 10 seconds because I'm going to berate my striker for not showing for the ball. He holds the ball by in his back and roars and shouts and gestures with his hands and he's letting him know he's not happy. And now we can get back to the process of getting ready to kick this ball out. <laughs> I think that was a very clever use of it. I've got a couple more here, but what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah it, was, it, was, it was great. It's, it's the way he gets away with time-wasting the most just by wandering out to the edge of his box and pretending that the pass isn't on, pretending that the 80-yard boot up the field to Watkins being marked by three centre-halves isn't on anymore. Oh, no, damn. I guess I better hold the ball for a while. And it's interesting, there's an interesting bit of or dynamic here. The ref booked him after 75 minutes, and he absolutely deserved to be booked at that stage. But once the ref does that, that early, the threat of him being booked again is completely gone. So I wonder, does that actually just end up allowing Martinez to waste more time? Because <laughs> he knows he's not going to be booked anymore. Not that he's ever concerned about being booked. Let's be fucking honest, what yeah, am I talking yeah. about? It's a seventh booking. But the really frustrating thing is here, I know, I know we were wasting time. I know it's really fucking annoying, even for me to watch sometimes. But you can't just be adding on 19 minutes, because even though we're wasting time, we've all agreed that that's not what happens. 
Like that's 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 not that was just a little Qatar World Cup thing. You don't yeah. do that in the Premier League. That's nonsense. We haven't all agreed that yet. That isn't part of the rules yet. We don't actually let the fucking referee add the time back on. Come on, <laughs> why not? Why is this? Why is fucking Aston Villa the test bed for this? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> that is the annoying thing about it all. It's just like you just brought it back just for this game. And imagine, imagine Villa had got done by this. Imagine how he conceded in the hundred and first minute. It would be <laughs> apoplectic here. Uh, Liverpool fans would have felt justice, but again, it would have been like, well, why us? Like, why not Newcastle? Why not all these other teams that have done it? Like, we we the only ones getting punished by this. And I'm very happy if they want to apply this going forward. I think at the World Cup, everyone said. Yeah, do you know what? That, that'll start rooting it out a little bit. But then people started complaining because apparently, apparently watching 10 extra minutes of football is that big an inconvenience for football fans. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a couple more. Like Dave Martinez did the classic throw the ball straight out of play <laughs> when his player was injured. was looking at Dean. So, you know, sorry, lads. Like, I don't want to do this. But here, here, take the ball. Take the ball and I. We're going to get this guy fixed. Um, I mean, look at Dean. In fairness, I did think he was injured, and then I was I was immediately going to put him up automatically on the Vyman meter when I thought he'd gotten up to clear the ball whilst injured, and then I saw him jogging off the pitch. <laughs> I saw him jogging <laughs> off the pitch, and I was like, okay, he doesn't have the back injury that I thought he did have. He got a yellow card as well for time wasting, and yeah, I think Per Moreno suffered the. The consequences of Luca Dean, whereas nobody, nobody trusted him. Then he was being booed with like what must be a ripped hamstring. Like he looked, he looked in a really bad way, and he had to come off then. And the only other, it's not a nomination, really. It's just a. I was going to say, I was going to say a celebration. It's just, it's just noting all the different forms of time wasting. But the the most clever form obviously comes in the form of Ashley Young, who knows that if I go down with a head injury, nobody's going to say boo to me. Nobody has the balls to say he doesn't have a head injury because what if he does have a head injury? So that is the best way to stop the game and get the referee. Get the referee to actually call on the doctors for me as well. Get the referee implicit in all this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we want to necessarily go down the road of uh, promoting people pretending to have concussion, Connor. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that, especially uh, seeing as there's probably about four or five minutes of uh, tapes on the Villa podcast of me calling Connor Cody an absolute fucking cunt for heading the ball over his own bar and pretending to be concussed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the you like Glenn Whelan taking 90th men a penalty award. This has come up before, all right? And I know, I know football people will tell me there's a reason that it makes sense. John McGinn marking Van Dyke from corners. You can't. You can't tell me there's a reason for this or that it makes any sense because I see, I see it with my own eyes. I see the stats. They tell me that Villa can see chances over and over from corner kicks. And every time it's John McGinn marking Van Dyke or it's Douglas Louise marking Dan Byrne. Like it's, it's, it's madness what's going on here. Yeah, but it does free up Tyrone Mings, obviously, then to just clear the ball out of the box, which he was able to do a lot. I, I have bigger worries than John McGinn because at least John McGinn can stick to his man and put a bit of pressure on him, maybe arse him out of the way. Don't forget, like I know, I know you're looking at the height differential there, but don't forget how much weight John McGinn is carrying in his back pocket, <laughs> literally. Like it's it's uh, it's probably not that big a deal. I have bigger problems with people like, why is Jacob Ramsey being given a man marking job in the box? He's fucking useless at it. Like we, we conceded a goal from it not that long ago. And then yeah. again yesterday, the number of times where he's so easily blocked off he gets confused. 
at least this time he was looking at the ball, but then he was looking at his fucking man. The guy's just running around the back post. There was one yeah. time where there was just two people completely free at the back post. Jacob Ramsey definitely lost his man. I don't know who the other person was. We're really bad, really, really bad from defensive set pieces. Yeah, like we we lost a game against Wolves because of Jacob Ramsey having to man mark somebody course, yeah. eight yards out, and I think that game is the the outlier in this run. Like Villa have been on incredible. I wouldn't even call it form anymore. Like this this is just Villa, but somewhere along the way they lost a game to Wolves that they should never have lost, and they lost it because yeah, Ramsey was told to mark somebody that deep, that central in the box, and that's it, game over. Like that that's how we lost that match. At least we could have gotten a point. It would have been an even healthier position. The the one nomination, obviously Villa played really well. There's a few we could talk about, but the, the one thing I wanted to talk about in the Tim Sherwood, we played two number tens and bamboozled them award was John McGinn at number ten. I like that. I don't like particularly see it as a long term thing. We're probably for these games, especially away at a big team, really good. I said he's aggressive on the boards. Do you remember I used to complain about John McGinn? Under yes. I think it was under Dean Smith about being too fast on the ball. It was just a shit or bust all the time. But when he's further up the pitch, it actually works. And when we're playing games like this, it's definitely more needed as well. Like you don't want people dicking around when there's an opening. You want them going for it. It rats around. I feel like we really nullified Trent more than he has been in that central role. And that was down to where McGinn was, where Ramsey was. It was down to Kamara being back with Douglas Louise. Like it's really strong center there um and it's funny because i think trent made a pass in the first like the first 10 minutes he, he just sprayed a ball to Luis diaz on the left hand side and michael bridges took this as a license now to criticize villa's setup and to talk about how stupid they are for not having a plan for trent and you know as trent had his quietest game in a few weeks nothing was mentioned again about this it was just how how big an idiot's Villa are going to be to let Trent like pass pass the ball to Luis Diaz on the left flank? <laughs> Michael, Michael Bridges had a nightmare, but Villa were really well set up. I feel. <laughs> yeah, Villa were Villa were set up, and it was really really surprising that that's how they decided to set up because they, they put Leon Bailey in a defense in a more defensive position than John McGinn. And when you saw the Villa lineup coming into this game, you would have absolutely have thought that Leon Bailey was going to be up top with Ollie Watkins and we were going to try to be a lot more a lot quicker on the transition than we than we uh, normally are not a lot more direct on the transition roller than we normally are. Yeah. So to see John McGinn in there was strange, but it, it worked so well, you're right. And I wouldn't even say Trent had his quietest game in a few weeks. I thought he was really bad. It got it got to his head. Um Definitely got the Fabinho said. We we saw that plenty of times in the first twenty minutes, particularly. But Trent Trent's passing was all over the place. He was running around trying to put in too many tackles after because he was getting annoyed at John McGinn, annoying him <laughs> far too easily, and it really really put him off his game. Particularly when you think about how well he's played the last five or six weeks. Yeah the the only. Clear nomination, I think you've mentioned them there being in a defensive position. The winner of the Ashley Westwood, oh, he was playing award, is definitely Leon Bailey, right? I don't remember him being on the ball, but from that one shot that got blocked down, I, I don't, I'm sure he did a shift of some sort, but Jesus, he didn't really have an impact on the game at all. 
no, he he was he was completely irrelevant to how that game was progressing. Uh, it, there was a couple of times in the first half where I did see him in the bottom of the the camera, and I was thinking, Jesus, fair, he, he is shuffling in and out. A lot yeah. fair play to him. And then I just literally, you know, raised my eyes about three inches, and I could see Matt Cash for the next twenty seconds because I kept an eye on it. Then was talking to him nonstop, like in out get tighter, come in, go back. It was it was ridiculous. Like it was a fair play to Matt Cash for having defended so well himself, having to also defend Leon Bailey's position. It was yeah. uh it was incredible. But Leon Bailey did do it and that that was probably the most surprising thing of his game. But yeah, no. Was he on the ball in an attacking sense other than that one shot? I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> do you think do you think Matt Cash misses Trezeguet more than anybody misses any player? <laughs> he didn't even get to play with him that often, but it's just it's, it's, uh, like the choices have always been him, Bertrand Terori, or Leon Bailey. <laughs> Choose your poison, Matt Cash. And here we are in seventh place in the league, and that, that's still the same choice that he has. Of course, he's so good at talking to these boys now because he knows exactly what they're not going to do so he can talk them through. Yeah, and, and the other thing, the annoying thing for Matt Cash is he had... He had John McGinn dangled in front of him for, for quite a few weeks there as well, just before Matt Cash got injured. <laughs> Since Matt Cash has come back in, I don't think John McGinn's played on the right side of midfield. <laughs> All right, let's go to the Vyman meter. Matt Cash is probably worth a nomination there for coming back into the team now. He's out of injury for a good bit, so it's good to see him back and defending so well. I think it has to be an automatic nomination, even though he only played 10 minutes, but... Alex Moreno at the back post always has to be pointed out, doesn't it? When there's a ball going in behind him and he has to clear that ball away, he did it. He was there to do it. Yeah, he always is there, and to do it and get himself injured as well is obviously gives elevates it into the heroic nature of it. But uh, for a player that I slag off for not being able to defend, and I am right about that, he does do a lot of. Uh, he, there is a lot of last minute interceptions from him that are obviously incredibly important to the team as well. But that's just because of his absolute blistering pace and die-hard nature that he has. Yeah, it's not even a debate really about how well he can defend. I mean, I think the fact that Unai Emery sees Luca Dean as a safer defensive option (laughs) (laughs) is very telling. Like Alex Moreno does a lot of stuff for Aston Villa, but when he thinks they're going to be under the pump, he's turning to Luca Dean, which uh, says it all really. Do, Do you know what I was thinking though? Speaking of uh, fullbacks at the back post, and I heard you know you hear the grumbles then every time there's a goal scored at that area for or against Liverpool, and Trent was getting it near. I was looking at Curtis Jones out there and all the praise he's getting, and I was like, do you know what he never has to listen to? Fall asleep at the back post. He never, <laughs> he's never going to have that level at him. He's never going to have. Oh, he lost his man at the back post, or. Oh, you got to take him past him by the wing. Why? Why is Trent still bound by these shackles? Why are they? Why are they still making him responsible for this stuff? But like, if if you want to find somebody who's thick, just listen to the things they say. Not the best advice I've ever given, but Michael Bridges <laughs> is so has heard. I've said, I think I've said this before, probably about Trent. He has heard that Trent Alexander Arnold falls asleep at the back post. He was fucking blaming him for Ramsey sneaking at the back post because Trent had to come in to fucking Tyrone Mings. 
Terrell Mings is six foot five and he's free at the back post and Trent Alexander-Arnold realises he better put a bit of pressure on him and he probably actually stops Terrell Mings from heading it into the net. And Michael Bridges, just because it's on the right-hand side, has decided that's Trent Alexander-Arnold's fault. It's absolutely not. It's so infuriating. Nothing annoys me more than people just going along with a narrative that they had heard before. They've heard somebody else say it, so it must be true. doesn't matter if that fucking person is Michael Bridges or someone of his own. <laughs> I have Jacob Ramsey going up a hundredth appearance for Aston Villa uh, another major I think that's seven goals or assists in his last 11 games as well so he's really hitting form too it's uh, he's getting better and better everybody knows he's just 21 it's it's class that he's, he's, he's gotten this amount of games under his belt now already and he's contributing so importantly to such a big push for a big team at this stage of his life this stage of his career as well it's a uh, I don't know I'm, I already like Jacob Ramsey but I'm excited at what else is to come especially if his celebration is anything to go by <laughs> ah yeah but like the, the excitement from Jacob Ramsey doesn't just come from how absolutely technically brilliant he is and how uh, incredibly fast and powerful he is on the ball it comes from his attitude the goal against it's the way he's talking about himself after he scored that goal against Norwich is one of the best interviews of all time it's like yeah we were really good in the first half great goal by me like a fucking 20 year old came out and said that live on air it's hilarious and it's fucking and he's right he's right to be arrogant and he's right to run past the cop holding his fucking ear asking them to shut up like he's, he's just a brilliant footballer that everybody should be excited about and it's not yeah. just that he's 21 and he's got 100 appearances. He's a 21-year-old centre midfielder. That's how you identify brilliant uh, brilliant players. They've played a lot of games by the time they're only 21. Yeah. I think we've talked about him loads over the last couple of weeks and even today, but John McGinn's worth highlighting again as well, going up on the Vineman meter. Just to, if you really just zoom out and think about the turnaround, the turnaround, I... I thought he was toast under Dean Smith. I thought he was toast under Steven Gerrard. Gerrard got a bit of a kick out of him first four or five games, and then uh, he went off a cliff. And now, like, the way the level he's performing, he got dropped under Gerrard, although I don't know if that's anything to go by, really, because I mean, Mings, was also, <laughs> Mings was also dropped. We all know what happened there. Watkins had been dropped, and you know all these players he was looking to get rid of. And But again, like, the, the level that he's performing at, and now this is... If he's playing on the right, if he's playing in the double pivot, which we used to laugh at that idea, or if he's playing at number 10, he's just given Villa so much in every sense, defensively and attacking. Like he, I feel like he's having the same impact on this current Villa team that he was having on the Villa team in the championship. And that's a player that's really stepped up them with the levels because of that. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Yeah, like the biggest compliment you can pay John McGinn is he's playing at the same level he's playing in the championship. As in, he looks too good for the league he's playing in at yeah. the moment. Like he's been absolutely incredible, and particularly I would say the last the last ten weeks or so, he's just been too good on the ball, too good defensively, too good at covering the ground in both directions. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant performances from him. His arse is great as well. Like he's using his arse really well. There was one stage where he 
he thought, oh, like, you know, Henderson, Henderson knows all about his arse. He's not going to get caught by it. And McGinn was able to just shift in the other direction again, quickly readjust. It was like he telegraphed it. If you know about his arse, you know what he's going to do with it. And Henderson didn't get caught by it. But McGinn was like, okay, I'll just go this way instead. And he just burst out. And he, he's just running into space all the time. It's giving Villa so much control and so much options. Ah, he's, he's actually just really fun to watch again. It's so good. But the number of times you see him on the bo- on the ground as well, can, with full control of football, is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And not only that, he's able to stand up while also manipulating the ball so that he's in space. I think he's actually just sitting down to trick people now. Sitting down so they come in too close, he feels the contact and he's back up. It's absolutely ridiculous. The only person I have going down on the Vima meter is Christian Perslow for bending the ear of whoever that poor soul was he was bending the ear of in the stand as he was being booed because obviously they were showing him on the big screen and it's like, yes, just take your booing. Just sit there and take it with a bit of dignity. Don't pretend like you're talking shop with someone. And the guy obviously was aware now that the, the person being booed by 50,000 people is talking to me. He was trying to sort of ignore him, I felt like, and then Perso grabs his arm to get, get more of his attention and continued talking even faster. Uh, I thought it was a bit of a loser move from him. Yeah, and what was he what was he actually saying there? Like I I know I know he looks a bit shit out there today, but trust me, Leon Bailey is worth thirty million. Just fucking <laughs> t- take the hit, Christian. You're round, roundly hated by everyone. <laughs> it's like I know I know one of them's gone. I know one of them's on the bench. I know Leon Bailey's the other one. But trust me, <laughs> we have spent really well from the Jack Grealish money. We've invested wisely. They are the future. I, tr- I-, I promise. All right, questions we can't answer, but probably will. 24-year-old Martin Odegaard nominated for Young Player of the Year, is it? <laughs> Martin, Odegaard, Martin Odegaard made his debut for Real Madrid in the 2014-15 season. The 2014-15 season. You know, James Milner wasn't even halfway through his career at that stage. It's, uh, yeah, that, that that's a reach, isn't it? Yeah, and, and the, the annoying thing here is that Everyone has identified this as being stupid for quite a number of years. And then the PFA finally changed their rules two or three years ago to make the award an under-21 award. But apparently the Premier League is happy enough to be nominating lads 35% of the way through their fucking career. And like, <laughs> I, I'm not disputing that 24-year-olds are young men, Conan. But they're not young athletes. Like they, they signed professional contracts six or seven years ago. Like they, they've, only got, they've only got 10 or 11 years left. Bukaya Sacco can be nominated for the next three seasons for the Young Player of the Year. That's <laughs> nonsense. But Martin Odegaard is in his tenth year playing for fucking Norway. <laughs> but I, I, I don't even think I don't even think the the PFA rule change goes far enough. Like just make it a debut season award, or you can only have played ten senior games the season before, or something like that. I mean, who gives a fuck if some lad with two hundred appearances under the belt has had a good year? Or fucking yeah. 200 goals under the belt like Erling Haaland. Like, who's eligible next year too, by the way. And if he was a month younger, he'd be eligible the year after that as well. It's nonsense. It's so stupid. Yeah, 49 caps for Norway. You're so right. I mean, the stat that I picked out there, that, that was cheeky enough. He only played one game for Real Madrid and then he didn't play for them for another what, five years after that. But the fact is, actually, it's 
10 years ago, we played three times for Norway to his first three games 10 years ago. So this is the level he's at. And he's got fucking can't... six major tournament qualifications under his belt. <laughs> A full career already. And who cares if it's somebody less... Like, that, that's what the young player should be, like somebody with a lower profile. We don't need to be giving out sympathy awards to these people. Either they're, not, they're nominated. Odegaard's the captain of Arsenal. Like he, He's the captain of the team that we all thought were going to win the league. Well, you <laughs> thought. I told you they weren't going to. But... <laughs> <laughs> but like that, like that's what he's at. Like Saka is England's best player. Like this, these players don't need a young player of the year. Or they're, they're amongst the best players in the Premier League. So either they're nominated for player of the year or they're not. It's, it's just super carrying. But that's the other thing. Is there anybody nominated for the player of the year? Maybe then the young player of the year. Maybe Alexis McAllister. If they were nominated for for player of the year, you'd be like, what's he doing in there? No, because they're all fucking brilliant players who are having brilliant years. It's 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 just a stupid award. You're just essentially giving two player of the year awards. It's the who is the player of the year and who was who was good as well. <laughs> Who's one you would like to give an award to? But the the weird thing about if somebody's been nominated for the player of the year, they're obviously not a young player. Like nobody is able to do that in their first season. Let's have a rookie of the year award, something like that. Nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, give Haaland the rookie of the year. <laughs> yeah, I know you mean first season of the career. The if we move on to the manager of the year award, amazing to see you and I Emery being nominated. Going up on the Vimeo meter, you and I Emery, but six nominees. We got Emery, we got Deserbi, we got Tindall, we got Silva, we've got Guardiola, <laughs> and we've got Arteta. So I'm looking through you, and everyone would say, okay, they've all had good seasons. Newcastle are going to make a Champions League. Marco Silva's done really well. Everybody thought Fulham were going to get relegated to Zerbe. Obviously, he's taken Brighton on a whole new level. Guardiola's won the league. I'm actually thinking Arteta is the one under more pressure here. He's gotten 81 points. He's done all right. He's just he's qualified for the Champions League. He's, he's had a qualified for the Champions League season <laughs> in a season that Newcastle qualified as well. Like the, People were really talking like... I know like everything turns into a culture war now. Nobody, everybody was so careful not to use the word bottle about Arsenal. I don't know what this is about. Like, the, I think in the last eight games, they've, they've lost three and drawn three and they won two of them. So like, that's not a bottle job in the last eight games. <laughs> I don't know what is in the last eight of nine games of the season. And Arteta has basically gotten 11 more points than Unai Emery got in his only full season at Arsenal. And Arteta has done that three and a half seasons later, over three and a half seasons later, and he's done it being able to rip up the entire squad and, and buy who he wanted and change everything there. He's finally beaten that record for the first time. In I am 70 points. He's gotten to, <laughs> to, to 81. He's gotten to 81 points. They might not get any more. And I feel like when everyone was so conscious of not using the word bottle, the, the narrative then became like, this This is an amazing season for Arsenal, no matter what. They're going to get nine. Like they're going to get close to ninety points. That's amazing. They're nowhere near ninety points. Like that's a long way off it. They can only get eighty-four points now. That's nowhere near ninety points in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, I'd be surprised if they got there. Put it on record. I'd be surprised if they got even the eighty-four. But yeah, it's, it's it's been a grand season for Arsenal. Is it manager of the season worthy? I don't think it is. I think Gary O'Neill has probably done a better job. Yeah, Gary, Gary O'Neill had a really good April and May, I would say. I mean, if you only if you only need two good months to be nominated, you might as well nominate Marcus Rashford for Player of the Year. Oh wait, 
But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously, anytime anytime a squad of players as weak as Bournemouth stays stays up, the manager deserves credit. Like probably on paper, the worst team in the league. They certainly don't have many Castanias or Pereiras or Indidis or Madisons or Barneses or Telemans or Vardy's knocking around. Yeah. But like of the of the six that that have been nominated, I don't think I'd push any of them out for Gary O'Neill. I'm I'm ready to crown Thomas Frank to be honest after his win against Spurs yesterday as well. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the really the, the it has to be annoying for Arteta because. The season they have bottled it, they one hundred percent have bottled it, and I think Roller and me saying Arsenal are going to win the league. I said if a if a team of Martin Odegaard or the captain is going to win the league, then I don't know anything about football. So it turns out I do know quite a bit about football because that team was was going to bottle it. But that's why I think that Arteta should be nominated because they were so good for so long. Unfortunately, the story of the season is failure. But if Arsenal finish second. In a different way, you know, if they if they bottled the first eight games of the season and finished second, it would be a success because this team isn't the second best team in the league. So I think Arteta has way overperformed with the players that he has at his disposal. The same way Eddie Howe has with Saudi Arabia. So I think both those managers definitely deserve to be in there because neither of those squads are good enough to be in the top four on paper. So again, once a manager does does that, they definitely deserve credit. But the manager of the season is. Is definitely Unai Emery. Unai Emery, second in the league since he's come in in 23 Premier League games of Aston Villa. That's heartbreaking, really, isn't it? <laughs> Not even <laughs> going to think about it for too long. But we do have one more game left, one more game to get a crack at the Conference League, and we'll have Thursday ball, we'll have Conference ball, we'll have Unai ball, and we'll have Villa twice a week. It'll be amazing. We'll be forced to stick with two podcasts a week for a full season. And think about that, everybody. I know you were all going for Villa as it was, but now there's really something on the line. There's double, <laughs> double Villa podcast episodes on the line as well. So we'll see you on Sunday after the Brighton game, the last game of the season. And yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And thanks again for all the support. It's been a long season, but we're almost there. We're almost there. And we've got something to fight for. Imagine, imagine like we just crumble like the rest of the season this would have been the longest season of all time like the rest of the other seasons like on the beach this would have been so pointless but here we are fighting for Europe don't need to tell you that everybody knows so uh, chatty on Sunday <laughs> all the best <laughs> the wind is calling my name and I